What a moment that'll be, amen? Uh, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your incredible grace and your goodness, your, your love towards us that we can't, we can't even begin to imagine. Lord, we so look forward to that day when we stand in your presence. Lord, we can only imagine what that will be like. Oh, Lord, now we just ask that you bless our time together this evening as we open your word. Lord, open our hearts to receive and hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, why don't you all stand up real quick and greet those around you this evening and then grab your Bibles. Welcome. If you would all uh, take out your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We started into the chapter. And as we left off last week, if you'll remember, we were talking about the fact we had just come through Genesis chapter 5, talked about the beautiful picture that we see outlined of God's promise for salvation in a chapter that we oftentimes just kind of glance right through. But one of the really sad things, I guess, after reading through that and thinking through that, that this was the godly line of Seth, if you'll remember. We talked about the ungodly line of Cain a couple of weeks ago. Last week, talking about this godly line of Seth. And as we read in Genesis chapter 6 last week, even this line had been com become completely corrupted by the world. If we look back and kind of get a little start into where we, we finished off last week, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, let's start looking there. We looked at this a little bit last week. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were o was always only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from the from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then we saw verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God, verse 9. Verse 10, now Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Now again, we talked about this last week a little bit in uh, chapter 6, verse 3. The Lord said 120 years from that point would be the time when he would destroy the earth with a flood. So shortly thereafter, probably right about that same time, God has this conversation with Noah. That's where we left off last week. And if we'll pick up there, verse 14, God talking to Noah says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You should make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. 
This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy it. All flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing and all flesh you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing on the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all the food which is edible and gather it for yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. God explains to Noah that he is going to destroy the earth, and he tells them that he is to build an ark, a boat. Now, this just like when we talked about creation. This is one of those aspects that non-believers, the world around us, likes to poke fun at and say, do you really believe this story? Do you really believe that this really happened? God talked to this man and he told him to build a big boat and that he was going to fill it with two of every kind of animals. Do you believe that? And unfortunately, too much of the church apologizes for that and tries to find ways to try to describe it, change the subject, you know, and make it palatable for non-believers to accept it. We don't have to do that, just as when we talked about with creation. The world is willingly ignorant of creation and the flood. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts. They are going to mock. They are going to come. And we're going to talk about why in a little bit. But we need to understand a few things about what God told Noah to do. One of the common things that people say is there is no way a ship that large that is a sailing ship could, could make it in the open seas. Well, the problem is that it's not a sailing ship. God did not tell Noah to build a sailing ship. We're going to look at the dimensions of this, but one of the things that costs, causes ships of any large amount, sailing ships, to twist and cause problems is the big sails on top of them. This is not a sailing vessel. It was only designed to float. God was going to navigate it where it was going to go. Its only purpose, the only purpose of the ark was to keep its contents safe and dry. That's the only point of the ark. And problems always come when we get outside of the purpose for things. We talked about that on Sunday. God has created us for a purpose, and things get into all sorts of problems when we step outside of that purpose. We try to help God along. If Noah would have said, well, obviously, we got we to gotta get some wind in this thing to help us along and built a sail on top of it, that would have caused big problems. But we see, and we're going to get through this, God, Noah followed the instructions that God gave him. Now, a cubit. Probably have all heard this before. A cubit is the measurement from the elbow to the tip of the finger. Now that's going to vary depending on the person. Mine's about 21 inches. I measured it today. <laughs> Cubits, though, varied in size from about 17 and a half inches up to 24 inches. But we'll let's just use a standard 18 inches to try to describe the size of this arc. If it's at 18 inches, which is the lower end of the scale, 
its length is 450 feet. To get a feel for that, that's one and a half football fields, but I measured it off again. If you start where our office door is out there in, in the other building, and you walk towards Reams, you get about 25 to 30 feet shorter Reams. That's the length of the ark. The width of the ark is 75 feet. And I measured that off in here. It's from that wall to just short of that wall. So that's the width of the ark. The length from the other building almost all the way to the reams, and here's the width. You know what an amazing fact is? It says here, if we look at those dimensions, that that's a six-to-one ratio, length to width. That is still one of the standard measurements used today for sailing vessels, a six-to-one ratio. God must have known what he was doing. And it's three stories tall. There's three levels within the ark. Now, some of the fascinating things about this, and this is, again, I'm going to give you a bunch of information here tonight because, again, we shouldn't apologize for what we believe. In that size of vessel, you could fit 522 standard stock cars for, for trains that they carry stock, you know, livestock in. 522. Now, when you're sitting at a traffic light and you're watching the train cars go by, they, they don't seem all that big, probably. But I had a summer job when I was in college. I worked for IBP, Iowa Beef Processors, and I worked in the freezer compartment at night. And we got all the jobs that they didn't want to do during the day that needed to be done before the next day came around. And whenever we would come in and we would see that we had to load a rail car, it was like, oh, I don't feel so good. I got to, you know, I got I to go home. <laughs> Because we would have to take these frozen boxes of meat and stack them floor to ceiling in a rail car. And it would take five of us all night to load one rail car. That's how big these are. They're, these, the standard rail cars. They say that you can fit 240 sheep in one rail car. The double-decker rail car. So 240 sheep can comfortably fit within one rail car. So what are we talking about as far as numbers of animals? Well, modern biology, not talking Bible here, modern biology says that there are less than 18,000 species of animals alive today. So let's just double that to take into account all the animals that were extinct. So we're up to 36,000 animals. There's two of every kind, right? So we're up to 72,000 animals. We'll round up because we have to, we're going to see that we have to take seven of every clean animal. So let's just go to 75,000 animals. Average sized animal, if you take into consideration mice to elephants, is about the size, actually it's a little smaller than a sheep. So if you have 240 sheep in an average rail car, 522 rail cars, that means that there was enough for 125,000 sheep on the ark. Using modern biology's numbers, we just said, and being very generous, that there was enough room for, or there would be 75,000. Now, as we're going to see, though, as we just read here, the Bible says to get, take two of every kind, not two of every species, two of every kind. And the difference would be then, you only need two dogs, if you would, that would then populate all the rest. Coyotes, wolves, and everything could come from those two dogs. And the same thing on down the line with that. And using that as the, as the parameters, the biblical record, if being generous, there are 8,000 kinds, if you would, today. So again, let's double that for extinction. 
that's 16,000, times, times two for the pair, that's 32,000, rounding up 35,000 animals on the ark. Plenty of room. We don't have to apologize for that. That, again, is one of the things. How could you possibly fit two of every animal on the ark? That's not what it says. It's not two of every animal. It's two of every kind. Question comes up always. Were dinosaurs on the ark? I believe they were. Dinosaurs, I believe, became extinct after the flood when the ozone layer and all this different stuff, when we talk about the water canopy coming down with, with the flood, they couldn't, they couldn't hang with it afterwards. They became extinct after the flood, I believe. Elephants, giraffes, how did they account for all of these huge animals? Well, again, God's a pretty smart guy. And I would imagine that he brought, they, he sent one-year-old maybe animals along. They were the smaller ones. Why would you bring a mature 60-year-old elephant when you're going to have to repopulate <laughs> the elephant population after the flood? You'd bring a young, small elephant on. Hibernation. A lot of the animals hibernate in turbulent weather and that type of stuff. Most animals have some form of hibernation, either in cold weather or warm weather. God controls all of that. I would imagine there was a whole lot of sleeping going on. Perfect conditions, and just rocking back and forth. <laughs> they were vegetarians back then. We're going to find out about that after they didn't start eating meat until after they got out of the ark. Well, how did Noah go? Did Noah go around collecting all the animals? How could he have possibly done that? Well, the Bible tells us. Chapter 6, verse 20, verse 20 God brought them to him. God brought the animals. Noah didn't have to go collect them. The large mountains that we have today, as we see them, they didn't exist until after the flood. This is going to help explain a lot of things with the water as it goes, but Psalm 104, verses 6 through 9 says, You covered it with the deeps as with the garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of the thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place which you established for them. You set the boundary that they may not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. It tells us very clearly in Psalm 104 that during the flood, mountains were upheaved and the, the floors dropped down. Why is that important? Well, that's one of the things that people say, where'd all the water go? Well, interesting fact. If the world was to be made today, perfectly round, sink all the mountains down, raise up all the floors of the ocean, the earth would be covered in about 8,000 feet of water. That's how deep our oceans are. We ha they can't even be measured in, most, in a lot of places. That's where all the water went. 3,000 feet, the top, the, the top 3,000 feet of Mount Everest, there are fossils of sea creatures up there. I mean, this, uh, science can't explain these things. How did that happen? Well, at one time, it was underwater. They call them polystrata fossils. Again, science can't explain these things because in the supposed geologic column, which does not exist, but they say it does, all of the different sedimentary layers, there are fossils that penetrate several of those layers. The only thing that explains that is the flood. That there was trees deposited vertically and the sediment settled down after the flood and they were fossilized there. Again, we don't have to apologize for that. They do. They can't explain it. We have a perfectly good explanation for it. And Mount St. Helens has totally thrown them on their ear because there are fossilized trees from Mount St. Helens. And they're supposed to take millions of years to fossilize. Mount St. Helens blew up in 1980. And there's fossilized trees in several layers of different sediments. Perfect, again, explaining the, the, uh, from the flood. 
Bottom line again, just like creation, people choose not to believe in the flood. It's a choice that they make. The evidence is all there. We don't, again, have to apologize for it, just like creation. It's not, it's not our problem to have to explain. It's theirs. And their issue, again, just like with creation, is if they agree that with creation, they have to agree that there's a creator and that they are accountable to that creator. Same thing with the flood. If there was a worldwide flood to wipe out sin, and, and, the, and that, that's what, how God dealt with that, they're going to say, well, hmm, he's going to have to deal with me with sin. So I'm just going to deny that and pretend it doesn't exist. Again, too often we find ourselves fighting for a position in this, and we don't need to. So I've thrown a bunch of information at you here. And a little re, as a little recap, we have a, I saw a video this week. And uh, this guy talks a lot faster than me and gives you a little visual. So let's uh, cue up that video and we'll watch that real quick. Lots of people say there's no way that two of every known species in the world could fit onto Noah's Ark. You know what? We agree. But the truth of the matter is that the Bible doesn't claim that's what happened. So if we really want to get to the truth of it, we're going to need to see what the Bible really says about all this and then ask three questions. How many animals are we really talking about? How big were they? How big was the ark? If we answer those, we're closer to understanding the truth. Make sense? Good. So how many animals are we really talking about here? Well, let's jump back and move forward, shall we? Let's take a peek at day five of creation week and do a plain reading of Genesis 1, verse 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. Jump ahead to Genesis 1.25, day 6, the same day man and woman were created, and here's what we get. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. So there you have a very clear account of the land and sea creatures created by God according to their kinds. Now, take a look at the phrase, according to their kind. What does it mean? Is it the same as species? I don't think so. It's possible that it's closer to what we call family in the typical biology class today, with some exceptions. Keep in mind that species is a man-made definition anyway. Confused? Huh? Let me explain. Let's take the dog kind, for example. We'll call the female dog taken on the ark Bingo, because that's the name of my first dog. Okay, from Bingo and her mate, you can get the various species of coyote, wolf, and even domestic dogs, like the Border Collie, Great Dane, Poodle, and so on. You get it? The different species we have now could have easily been generated after the flood from the information already present within the parent kind. So kind isn't the same as species at all. And a plain reading of the Bible teaches that Noah only had to take the representative of the different kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing animals. You don't believe me? Take a look for yourself. Genesis 6.20, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. That's as clear as it gets, folks. Simple instructions of what to take and what not to take. And in case we need further understanding of what God meant, he clarifies by telling us what died outside the ark. Genesis 7.22, and in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. Okay, so he's not talking about any sea creatures being on the ark. Not the tiniest seahorse or the largest whale. Uh, because the last time I checked, they weren't swimming around on dry land. He's also not talking about plant life or single-celled organisms or bacteria. No, only things that have the breath of life in its nostrils and are on dry land. That's great, you say. But how many original kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing creatures are on the ark? Well, to be quite honest, we weren't there, and I don't have the time for each and every detail. But one leading ark researcher did a whole bunch of calculations and was very generous with the numbers he used. He selected the genus level and found that there are less than 8,000 kinds, or about 16,000 individual animals. So let's just round up to, say, 30,000 and then call it even. It'll make the math easier anyway. 
30,000 animals fit on the ark described in Genesis? That's a good question. Glad you asked. To answer it, we have to take a look at two more things. The size of the average animal and the size of the ark. Makes sense? Of course it does. Moving on. We can't list every animal, but we've got things from the various bird kinds to the elephant Elephant. kind, from the various dinosaur kinds to the smallest mammal kinds, and so on and so on and so on. So, you take all the young adult animals, because nothing says the animals had to be the oldest and biggest, and you look at all the various sizes we know of today, even from the fossil record, and you do some calculating, you come to the conclusion that the average size of the land animal is actually smaller than a sheep. But let's just use a sheep as the average size for the sake of argument. So now we've got the size of the average animal, a sheep, and we have the maximum number of sheep, 30,000. So are we going to need a bigger boat? Well, let's see how big it really was and if 30,000 sheep could fit on it. Back to the Bible. Genesis 6.15. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Genesis 6.16. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Using what's known as the small cubit, that makes the ark approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet high, with three decks, a door, and a window. So this ain't no canoe or a bathtub boat with giraffe heads poking out of it. This is a huge, seaworthy vessel. The total available floor space on the ark would have been over 100,000 square feet. The total cubic volume would have been 1,518,000 cubic feet, which is about the capacity of 522 railroad stock cars. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here, folks. How many sheep can fit into 522 stock cars? Well, just so happens I know the answer. The average double-deck railroad stock car can fit about 240 sheep. Now, that's a lot of wool. So 522 stock cars holding 240 sheep-sized animals each gives us the hefty total of 125,280 sheep-sized creatures that could have fit onto the ark. Remember, we only needed to fit 30,000 on it, and 30,000 is almost two times the already generous estimate of animals necessary to represent all the species we see today. So it's easy to see that with more realistic numbers, there was plenty of room for cages, food, and even fresh water for the duration of the year-long stay that these animals had to be on the ark. And you know what? Ark researchers have studied this too, and I'll let you look that up. So there you have it. Simple reading of scripture, simple math, basic science. This fallible claim against the Bible is debunked. Adios. Takes me 20 minutes, takes him five, but got a visual to go along with it. All right, so again, don't need to apologize for this. We, there's plenty of evidence to show that what, the, what is stated in the Bible is backed up. Verse 22 of chapter 6, we finish up chapter 6, it says, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. I can only imagine, though. Can you, I mean, Noah, it had never rained before. It had never rained. So there had never been a flood, and God comes to Noah and explains all of this to him. It doesn't tell us that he asked any questions, but I have to, I have to understand that God had to explain some of these things to him, and he probably had to ask that. Did anybody ever hear that Bill Cosby thing? I mean, that's every time I hear that, you know, that just, just Noah, what, what, what's an ark? What's a cubit? You know, all this kind of stuff. But I got to imagine that there was some questions, but he obediently followed exactly what God told him to do. And we read about it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence. That means in fear and in awe. Basically, because God said it, I'm going to do it. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. According to faith. In faith. God spoke to Noah, said, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you need to do. I got a project for you. This is, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And he explained it all to him. 
and he followed the directions. Again, like we talked about earlier, if Noah would have started going off on his own, starting to do some other planning, cutting, cutting corners, doing things in his own understanding, it would have totally messed everything up. Partial obedience is disobedience. And I got to imagine again, as Noah, our, God is explaining this to Noah, you're going to take two of every, ki- two of every kind of animal. And, and Noah's thinking, okay, well, I've only seen probably 60, 70 different kinds of animals. Why do I need to build such a big ark? I'm going to make it a lot smaller. <laughs> that would have been a big problem as God brought animals from all over the world that, that Noah had never seen before. Remember, we talked about this last week. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And it talked about Noah being righteous and blameless, that being above reproach. And it said that Noah walked with God. And I have to just, I, I picture this as I'm, I'm sitting through. We have a very brief explanation of the conversation that took place. But I have to imagine over the time, Noah walked with God. Like his great-grandpa Enoch. They, they walked together, they talked together, they communed together. And we have such a great picture as we walk with the Lord in our lives. When we do that, we will hear from him. He will share with us. He will tell us what it is that we're to do, how we are to do it. Walk this way. Do this. Do it in this way. And if we are obedient and we follow that, we will be blessed as Noah was. Hearing from him and being obedient. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 says, But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a, a, forver, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Not just hearing it, but doing it. Not just picking and choosing what it is that I'm going to do, but doing completely what it is that God tells us to do and how to do it. Again, what if Noah would have decided, man, this, this ark building, is I'm just going to leave the roof off. It's never rained before. What do I have to worry about rain for? <laughs> that would have been, again, a big problem. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. I didn't pick that scripture because it talked about floods. But it's such a, again, a beautiful illustration that Jesus is talking about. Just hearing what the word says and not acting on it, it sets us up for a tremendous fall, catastrophe. It's important that we know what our Lord says. And he reveals himself to us in his word. That's why it's so important that we spend time daily in his word, seeking what he has for us. Spending time in prayer, that personal, intimate communion with the Lord and and expecting to hear from Him. But we can't expect to hear from Him if we're not willing to do what He says. So that is why the obedience is such an important second step. We need to step out in obedience. Again, i got to think it's that that God lays out this plan to Noah. And it's like, man, just think of the vastness of this project. 
And Noah's 500 years old, by the way, when he gets this. He's thinking, man, how am I going to do that? How am I possibly going to build this ship? But it's got to start with cutting down the first tree. And that's what he had to do. Cut down the first tree, start shaping that first log, and moving forward, stepping out in obedience. God asks you to do something impossible. You need to step out in obedience and expect divine intervention. It doesn't explain to us how, but I have to imagine a 500-year-old man and his three sons needed some divine help to build an ark that big. But they stepped out in obedience and did it. Now as we move on, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You alone. How sad a picture this is. Again, we talked about how man has become completely depraved and and totally walked away from God. Hearts hardened, totally turning away from God. But here we have Noah for anywhere from 100 to 120 years building this ark, this monumental structure. And it tells us in the Word that he was a preacher of righteousness. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was telling people about the judgment that was coming. He was actively sharing the love of God, saying, hey, this is coming, and you can turn, you can repent. He was a preacher of righteousness, it says. But for a hundred years, no one listened. No one paid attention. Everybody was just mocking. Everybody was just calling out late names and making fun of Noah as he was going along. That's a really sad state of affairs, that after all of that time, it says, you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. 500-year-old man and his three sons building this. People see that. And again, granted, people were saying, man, you're nuts. You're crazy. The, we don't know how far, how close the closest water was, but he wasn't building it beside a lake. And if he was, way too big for a lake anyway. What are you doing? But even after that, when all of the animals started coming, and... Noah's saying, all right, you go there, you go there, the animal's listening, the animal's following, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. You'd think that at least a couple of people would say, hmm, there's something special about this guy. (laughs) But the, the world says, and they said it in Jesus' time, show us a sign, give us proof. Again, there's proof everywhere. Our lives should be living proof, and and they they are. People ask us, well, what is it that's different about you? When we share our faith, a lot of people, ah. That should never stop us. It never stopped Noah. He continued. We're called to be obedient in sharing our faith and sharing what, the hope that is within us. Not obedient in gaining converts. Or I'm sorry, not successful in gaining converts. We're called to be obedient in sharing our faith. And that's what Noah did. He continually did that as he, as he built the ark. Now as we continue, chapter, chapter 7, verse 2, you shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens. Now that is literally seven sevens or seven pairs of clean animals. And we're going to see after they get off the ark, it's they 
the clean animals were then used for food and also for sacrifice. So that's why clean animals, instead of just one pair, there would actually be seven pairs. Of every clean animal, seven sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife's sons and his wife, or his, his wife and his sons' wives, and they entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Of clean animals and animals that were not clean, and birds of everything that crept on the ground, there went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month of the seventeenth day of the month. On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were open. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind and, out, and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds, so they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all the flesh in which there was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female, and all flesh entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. We see here again God saying, the time has come. Go into the ark. Some of your translations say come into the ark. Some say enter the ark. There's a debate that I've heard go back and forth. Was God in the ark? Was not? God was in the ark. <laughs> God, God was in there. Come on in, guys. They came in through the door, by the way. There was one door. Chapter 6, verse 16 tells us the door. And we see there a beautiful picture of salvation. That there is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just as there was only one door into the ark, there is only one way to heaven, and that is trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is it. Now again, the world around us says, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. Well, to me, again, it blows me away that there's even a door at all. I don't deserve a door. I don't deserve an entry. And the, the fact that God created and made a way for me, a sinner, to be reconciled with him and to spend eternity with him in heaven, I'm just so thankful that there's a way. And you know the most amazing part about the way is it's not up to me. He did it. He paid it all. What a, what a, what a beautiful thing. And again, the world doesn't want to deal with that. The world wants to stand outside and say, well, I don't want to go in that door. And they're left outside to perish, just as all of the people in Noah's day. But the interesting thing about this, and just as we're touching on that, they all had to enter through that door. Noah, his wife, his sons, his sons' wives, they all had to enter through that door. They all had to renounce the world themselves. It had to be an individual decision. Each one of them had to say, all right, I am going to walk away from the world that I know and enter the ark. And go in there. They were adults at this time, all of them, and they all had a choice that they had to make. 
Can you imagine the peer pressure? Can you imagine? Again, we think of this and we just read this story. It happens, this hundred years happens just over the course of half a chapter. But Noah's sons grew up in this culture. They, were, they, they had to have some friends out there. They had to have some interactions and acquaintances. Granted, they were pretty busy, but they had to have some interaction there. And can you imagine the peer pressure? The, all of the people poking fun at them? And the, the fact that they had to turn their back on that and enter the ark. Developing godly character always involves fighting ungodly peer pressure, peer influence. If we are ever going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received as followers of Jesus Christ, it's going to involve turning our back on those that are our peers to follow him. But we see such great example of that here. We see it in Moses, who had all that the world had to offer within Egypt and left that all behind to follow God's calling on his life. Joseph, had all of the temptations and everything going, and he said, how could I ever do this against my God? And he turned his back on that. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, great examples that we have throughout Scripture of taking a stand for God and taking a stand against what the world has to offer. And there are two steps. There are two important factors to that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's two parts to it. It's not just turning away from what the world has to offer. It's turning to God. It's turning to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Turn with me real quickly to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Jesus had just been accused here of casting out demons in the name of Satan, that he was actually working for the devil. And in his response, he continued on from them. And he gives this illustration, Luke chapter 11, verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed or at peace. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me, Jesus said, is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself and they go and live there. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the woman who bore you in the breast which nursed you. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. There again it is. Hearing God's word and doing it. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you just rely on your own strength, you might win an initial battle. You might 
you know, actually scare this thing off. You might, if you're dealing with something in your life and you stand in your flesh, you might have a temporary victory. But it's going to come back with a vengeance. And on your own, you don't stand a chance. We have a, an amazing ministry here. It's called the One-Step Ministry. And it's a ministry that deals with addictions, whether that be drugs, alcohol, pornography, any type of addiction. And it meets Friday nights at 7 o'clock. If you know of anyone that needs that type of ministry, or if you do, please pray about being a part of that or sharing that information with them. Because there really only is one step, and that is through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you can overcome those things. There's two parts to the one step. There's that emphatic no to what the world has to say and has to offer, but there has to be that dedicated yes to the Lord and to the power of Him working in your life. I mentioned there's, there is information out in the foyer on that, the one-step ministry, Fridays at 7. But just like we're talking about here, these guys had to make that decision. We're shown that God promised that he would save Noah and his family in chapter 6, verse 18. This, this happened a long time ago, up a hundred years beforehand. But here we are at the moment where each one of them voluntarily had to choose to go into the ark. Again, a beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God, knowing that this was going to happen, but the free will of man having to go along with that. Now it says that the, the Lord closed the door behind them. Again, in obedience and trust. When I think of that, going into the ark and the, after putting all of these animals away and getting all of the food set up and all of that stuff, here we come to the moment, we got to walk into the ark and God starts to close the door. They had no idea how long they were going to be in the ark. No idea. God didn't tell them. They just had to trust that the Lord knew how long they were going to be in there. And that's all that really mattered. We're going to find out next week when we get into chapter 8 that they were in there over a year. Over a year in the ark. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that no temptation, and that word again, we've talked about this before, that word temptation can mean trial. It doesn't have to mean a temptation to sin. It can mean a trial or difficulty. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. No temptation is overtaking you except that is common to man. I got a feeling that if there's ever a man who could say, I, I stand an exception, Noah could. He was about to face a trial that no one else has faced. Going into the ark for a year, the whole world being destroyed, trusting in God completely for that. But he knew, he knew that because God had promised him this, that he was going to be saved through this, that regardless of how tough it got, regardless of how cramped and crowded things may seem, no matter how stinky things might get, they were going to make it through because God promised that they would. And we have that same promise that we can stand on. What are you facing? What are you going through in your life right now? A difficulty, a trial. Does it seem like it's taking a long time? Does it seem like there's no end to this? Again, imagine a year. Wonder what 
what Shem was thinking after like three, four months of this. God is in it with you. He will never allow you to go through any situation that he will not see you through to the other side. You hang in there. God has a purpose. He had a purpose for Noah and his family and everything that he did. God doesn't do things on a whim. <laughs> he had a purpose for that. And he has a purpose for what you are going through. He hasn't forgotten about you. You're not out there in a ship that God just lost track of. He knows every detail about what you're going through. And he wouldn't allow you to go through it if he didn't know that you could make it through with his help and you leaning and relying on him. Now let's close up real quickly. Let's finish out this. Start verse 17. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and, increasing, and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher than, and all the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved upon the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on dry land, all that whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky and they were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left together with those who were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. It's very clear. All flesh that moved upon the earth perished. Again, some people will say, well, it was just a local flood. It wasn't a worldwide flood. It was the Bible is very clear. Every living thing that breathes air perished. Again, we talked about verse, verse 11, that the, the fountains and the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. That's Water, the, the water canopy that surrounded the earth came crashing down. The water that was, that, because there was no rain, we talked about this back in the creation story, the, the, the earth was watered from underneath. Well, that broke loose, broke open. The entire world was flooded. Everything destroyed. And we will pick it up there next week, chapter 8. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, for your word. And Lord, we we thank you for the clarity of it. Lord, we don't need to apologize for the truth of your word. And we're sorry for ever doing that. Because you've given us, the, and there's, there's nothing to, to apologize or back away from. Lord, let us stand boldly for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that each one of us would, would take the opportunity in our lives as we live to be like Noah. Not only living out the word that you've implanted in our hearts, but sharing the truth with those around us. Lord, we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. That regardless of what we're going through, we know that you have a purpose. That we trust in you. Lord, we, we thank you for examples like Noah, who was righteous, who was blameless, who was above reproach, who walked with you. Lord, that is our desire, to walk closely with you, to hear from you. And Lord, not only to hear, but to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Well, thank you all. You can start reading ahead. Chapter 8, we'll get into that next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.